This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Happy to be here on video this time. Yeah, look at us on video. We're like I moving know. into the 21st century. <laughs> uh, and that is thanks in large part to our other guest, Candice Cordelia. She's uh, joining us because today we're going to be talking about the women's 150 issue. How's it going, Candice? It's going great. I have my coffee. It's bright and sunny. I'm ready to go. I was uh, up until probably three in the morning, like doing uh, election stuff for my day job. So right. yes, <laughs> forgive me if I if I accidentally uh, confuse one of the women in the top fifty for one of the uh, congressional candidates in in Philadelphia well, or something like that. I just want to. I was just going to say real quick, Al. I, I tweeted about this, but last night I was doing wrestling stuff. I was writing something, and I had the election stuff on in the other room. They were talking about the battle for Pennsylvania. And I thought they said the battle for WrestleMania. <laughs> and I'm Which is going to be in Pennsylvania. In right. And I'm years. like, all right, I'm writing too much about wrestling. I got to <laughs> stop. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the women's 150 issue. I've got it uh, in front of me. For once, my mailman did not deliver it. Crumbled up. I think this is pretty much mint, which I sincerely appreciate it. And um, so uh, we'll, we'll get plugs out of the way uh, real quick and then dive into the issue uh head over to pwi-online.com and pick it up you could download a digital version uh, right away or subscribe have it mailed uh, to your uh, doorstep um or just order the one issue obviously subscribing is the way to go you could save half off uh, the cover price uh, a fantastic issue it's not just uh, the women's 150 it's in here but tons of coverage a lot of uh, women's coverage we're gonna be talking about some of that kind of the state of women's wrestling and the staff did a fantastic um, job of talking about that promotion by promotion sort of the state of women's wrestling and then uh, again the women's 150 ranking which has really become uh, a 10 pole issue a staple it started as the female 50 right I mean I think it's been now, uh, probably could be close to 15 years or something like that since we've uh, started uh, ranking the, the, is it? Yeah. Yeah. This is started ranking the women grew to a hundred now up to 150. And I think right up there now with the PWI 500 in terms of um, prestige and eyes on this issue. Uh, so you don't want to miss it. We're in ranking season. I'm very deep now into the tag team. What is now the tag team 100 that that's grown too. And of course mm-hmm. you could still, Pick up the PWI 500 in its 32nd year. So, the, you know, magazine's always great. The, the the rankings issue, I think, are particularly fun. A little bit of nostalgia thrown in. We've been doing it for, for so long. Even folks who just pick up PWI once or twice a year, um, go and get this one. Uh, it is destination issue. Don't miss yours. Go over to PWI-online.com. Uh, so... Candice, we're going to talk about it uh, rather than than really kind of belabor it and go uh, one by one. These days, I'm sure people, if they want to find out, they could uh, go ahead and find out who is uh, on the list um, from 
the cover, you know that stardom uh, is well represented in this list. Uh, I'm going to go through the top 10 real quick, and then we'll uh, kind of dive in and talk further. So we start at number 10 with uh, Taya Valkyrie, uh, from uh, largely from Impact, but she is very, very busy, wears a lot of hats, a lot of promotions. Uh, number nine, uh, Starlight Kid from Stardom. Uh, Charlotte Flair is at number eight. She's probably been in the top 10 as much as anybody in her career. Uh, Saya Kamatani, another Stardom uh, competitor at number seven. Jordan Grace from Impact at number six. Uh, Jade Cargill from AEW, the TBS champion at number five. Becky Lynch, a former number one, is number four this year. Thunder Rosa, the AEW women's champion, last I checked, uh, is uh, number three. Uh, Bianca Belair, maybe some people are surprised to see her in this spot at number two and number one uh, this year. The first time we've got stardom in a number one spot, Asuri. Uh, let's talk a little bit about her, uh, Candice. I, I remember when we made Okada number one in the uh, PWI 500, and certainly those who were familiar with Okada, knew Okada, um, I think largely didn't take issue with it. But then there was a whole contingency of maybe more casual fans who never heard of Okada. I got to think that that's the case with a lot of uh, readers with Suri as well. For people who aren't familiar with her, what can you uh, tell us about Suri and why is she the right person to be number one? Well, you know, I have to admit that when we were compiling the list and we were coming together, I, for myself, didn't know a lot about stardom as some of our other contributors. So I was plugging for Bianca to be number one. <laughs> I was definitely, and I had back and forths and, and emails, and I wanted to understand exactly why Shuri was number one versus Bianca, who obviously she had a banner year. And not knowing too much about Shuri's past and her experience, I was definitely schooled. And I was told all of the different parameters as to why she should be number one. And I'm still learning. I'm still definitely learning more about Shuri. I'm still learning more about stardom. But after seeing the different graphs that I received and reading more about her and seeing more of what she's done, at least on social media, seeing some of her matches, um, it's quite spectacular. And I can't deny that she is deserving of the number one spot for all of the accomplishments, even barring her age. Uh, to be in this industry. And I'm, you know, even looking at, I have the the copy of the issue right in front of me and, and 13, I didn't even know she was 13 years pro until, you know, we were going through the list and really doing the rankings. And just to see what she's accomplished in such that certain parameter of time is amazing. Um, I know that there were a lot of, there was some controversy uh, especially on Twitter when the list came out and people were thinking, well, why isn't Bianca Belair number one again? And I think that has to also do with the fact that more people, especially in America, still don't know uh, a lot about stardom. You really have to take the time to uh, be proactive and look into other promotions besides WWE, AEW, MLW, etc. So the best thing that I saw when this list came out is that people on social media were like, okay, so this woman, Shuri, she's number one. I may not be too familiar with her. Maybe it's time for me to go find out what exactly is happening. And then there were also a legion of other people, which I love, that were really uh, praising the fact that we put Shuri at number one. I don't know if it's due to the fact that they were all encompassing and familiar with Shuri herself, which it seemed as though that was the case, but there was a lot of praise for it, which really excited me. And it made me think, okay, international wrestling, more people are getting into it. More people are trying to figure out 
what's happening overseas. And a lot more people, just like you stated, Al, in terms of Okada, I think I saw that when it happened with Shuri in terms of people saying to themselves, that's great. That's a great choice. I get it. I understand. And if I don't get it, I'm going to figure out exactly what is Shuri's uh, case, why she's number one. I'm going to watch more of her matches. And I just saw that snowball effect, which was awesome. So you're always going to have detractors, but I think uh, this was a way of bringing people together still, regardless of controversy or not. That's always going to happen. But I like the fact that people are, are trying to be more knowledgeable, including myself, of just wrestlers overseas, especially when it comes to stardom, which is just you know, continuing to come on the rise. And they had their uh, first show. They had their show here recently uh, in New York City. And a lot of people were really into it and loved it and couldn't stop talking about it. And I think that our list, you know, showing that stardom is a force is helping that wave, is bringing on new fans and really bringing people to understand and love who Shori and a lot of these other women on the roster at stardom are. Yeah, yeah, I have to get up to speed also. Uh, you're doing a better job of it because you can pronounce her name uh, better than I do. I keep on saying Suri. It's S-Y-U-R-I, which is Shuri. I have to remember that. But uh, yeah, I, I get to write the, the top 10 for uh, this list, and uh, I make no bones about it. I'm not not familiar with uh, as familiar with some of these women uh, as others. I, I know about Shuri a little bit from working on this list uh, in the past, but one of the it's one of the hardest parts of the job and also one of the most rewarding parts of the job is discovering some of this stuff. So you got to do like the deep dive. And I find myself watching a ton of, of stardom more than I do the rest of the year. And when you do, I think what you're touching on is you get it and you're like, oh, yeah, like th 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 this woman's incredible. And uh, I'll go over uh, just some of what we have as her uh, top five moments of the evaluation period. Um, she uh, finally won what is stardom's uh, a top title. Uh, in December uh, of last year in a no time limit about uh, beating uh, Utami Hayashishita, um, defended against Mama Watanabe in uh, July. Um, and I'm not, she's been a prolific champion over at Surrey. What, uh, I'm sorry, in stardom. Uh, one of the things as, as a UFC fan that I dig about her is that she is legit. She is a former um, MMA fighter, actually a UFC fighter, um, and a uh, kick, kickbox, former kickboxer, and she's got a, a winning record uh, in both. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned in her write-up, put Jennifer aside, people who know uh, wrestling, uh, many of them consider her the very best wrestler in the world. She's that good. If you're not familiar with her, go and seek her out. Uh, Brian, I don't know how, how up to speed you are uh, in stardom. It's something that was just kind of... Um, gaining some traction a few years ago and i think um certainly over the last year has kind of cemented its place as the destination for quality women's wrestling there have always been some of these promotions that have kind of tried to get a foothold on that women's audience to varying degrees of success whether you talk about shimmer or, or some others um stardom really has kind of taken it to another level where um one of the things that I think it's interesting, and maybe this goes for women's wrestling as a whole, is that uh, the for better or for worse, there's always been kind of different standards for women's wrestling. There's something that is good for a woman's match, you know, uh, and I think stardom in, is really uh, one of the big reasons that those separations are, uh, you know, going away. And when you watch a, a great stardom match or a great stardom wrestler like Shuri, you don't need to qualify it at all. It's just incredible wrestling. 
Yeah, there's a lot more of a global awareness, I think, in in wrestling today, probably because of social media and the internet and everything. You know, like I, I've, like Candace was saying, I've had to learn a lot recently, and actually since I've started doing the wrestling news because we try to cover global stuff, you know, that's where I've been learning a lot about stardom more than I ever knew. You know, it reminds me a little bit and just shows you how much more global wrestling's gotten and the awareness in the U.S. or North America. Back in the 80s, people used to say that All Japan Women's was the best wrestling promotion in the world. And people in America had no idea who, who, who they were. You had to be like the Dave Meltzer's of the world to have that awareness. And, you know, they would talk about Dump Matsumoto and, and, and the Crush Gals and Bull Nakano and people being like, okay, these are the best wrestlers on the planet. And most people outside Japan have no idea this is even happening. And I, and I feel like that's what's happening now, except now it's a much more interconnected wrestling fandom. Now, there's still a long way to go, obviously, you know, in terms of the awareness here. And I, I think it's a bold move, you know, and, and it reflects the effort for PWI to be more global. Like for me, you know, I've been in the position of being a managing editor of a wrestling magazine and and torturing myself over sell-through numbers and who's going to do well on the cover and all that. So it always makes me nervous going like, oh, I hope people know who they are. I hope they're they're known enough by the readers and everything. So, But I think it's a very brave thing to do because hopefully, like Candace said too, it encourages people to learn more. Instead of going, oh, I have no idea who this person is, so therefore they're not important, and why did they put this person you know, at the top or near the top? The response should be like, okay, PWI is a respected publication. They know what they're doing. If they're putting these, the, you know, uh, stardom wrestlers in the top ten. I need to know who they are, and I need to know what's going on. You know, it, and and that's something that that I think is a positive step for an American wrestling magazine like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, because even men's and women's Japanese wrestling. You can even if you go back to the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands. You had New Japan Wrestling, All Japan. They were putting on some of the best matches in the world. They had some of the best wrestlers in the world. But there was a fear to give it too much coverage, not just in PWI, but in American wrestling magazines in general, because there was the fear that readers wouldn't know, wouldn't be aware enough of who they are. And I'm glad that things are changing a little bit, and it's much more of a global perspective now. Yeah, I, I really agree. And I get the temptation of writing something off as illegitimate because – you're not familiar with it. I mean, I know I've had conversations over the years with with family, with friends about like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you know you see that the, the nominees every year, and you haven't heard of half them, so they can't possibly belong in the Hall of Fame because I haven't heard of them. Where's Motley Crue? <laughs> you know, and 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 um, I you know you can make the argument, sort of like the Big Daddy argument that we had a couple of weeks ago about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. It's like that there there is a place for a Big Daddy, there is a place for um, a Motley Crue, uh, but also don't just dismiss these folks that maybe you haven't heard of because people who know this know that that they really are something special. Um, um Candice, what is the secret sauce in stardom? Right, I mean. Um, they have stumbled on on some kind of a formula here of wrestling uh, excellence, and uh, again, maybe for people who aren't as familiar, what, what is Stardom doing that other uh, wrestling promotions are not? You know, just based on the matches that I've seen so far, there's 
and this might be a cliche term to use for this, but it really is a magical experience. I can only imagine what it's like being there live, seeing matches at stardom, but watching the showmanship of it all, watching how the storytelling is just so well-crafted, you can tell that they're really into the characters, the story, weaving things into this soap opera that if you look back on it five years, 10 years, 12 years from now, you can pinpoint the exact moments that certain things happened, certain people turned heel or face or what have you. And just the craft of the athleticism, which I think, in my opinion, because I, I love Japanese culture, I always have, it's, it's the number one place that I want to go to Japan at some point in my life, I'm hoping in the next few years. But I've always had a reference for Japanese culture because you can tell that, especially when it comes to fashion, art, sports, just everything that is woven into the culture, uh, they take things seriously and they really are very much into the intricacy and, and revering the art form of things. And I see that in the wrestling in Japan, especially in stardom. And you can see it in the gear that they wear, just mm -hmm. the set design. Everything is just so well-crafted, so well-done. And just like you said earlier, I mean, we have women in this country and all other countries that go to Japan. They go to stardom. They go to other promotions in Japan to fine tune their their wrestling skills, their in-ring skills, their promo skills to, you know, that's the number one place that a lot of women, women and men, all people, they go to Japan in order to hone their skills so that when they come back to their home country, they're better for it. And I think that stardom has that special sauce just in everything that they do. And I'm sure I, I don't know the exact secret. I, I feel like I would have to go to stardom and yeah. talk to everyone and just get interviewed. Yeah, go join the uh, dojo. Right. I would love to. <laughs> because They're doing something right. You see it in just everyone that goes through that system. You can tell that once they get through that system for however long or short of a time, they're just better. There's just something about what they're doing that just makes people better. And I think that's why stardom especially has so many fans that are they love. Everyone that comes through the system, they love the characters. They love Shori. They love everyone. And it's just, it's phenomenal to see. It really is. And I love, I just love what they're doing. I love what they're doing. So now I'm thinking I need to go to stardom. And <laughs> let's go field trip. <laughs> interviews, like, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Make yeah, it a business I, trip. Maybe, maybe. You know, all expense, right? three flights. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Tokyo. <laughs> Kevin would love that. Um, <laughs> one thing you mentioned, I really agree. And and again, kind of when you're coming into this uh, cold and you, you don't know the players or the characters and you hear uh, a Pro Wrestling Illustrated or a Dave Meltzer or somebody raving about it, I, I think some of the temptation is like, uh, you know, they're just kind of going crazy for the the acrobatics and the flips and all that stuff. And um, something you touched on that absolutely, I, I think, is on another level there, and, and it is why um, I, I have grown uh, to have such a respect for stardom, is the storytelling. And, um, you know, it's maybe one of the more challenging things for American fans to follow because of the language barrier, obviously. Uh, but but this isn't throwing two women in the ring and letting them all get their stuff in, right? It is layered uh, storytelling. It is um, told over months and years. Uh, you know, a lot of subtleties, a lot of nuances, a lot of themes about friendship and betrayal and belonging. Um, it is really well-crafted, really deep, very uh, kind of cerebral uh, so it, yeah, if if you haven't seen it, 
go out of your way. Uh, there's stuff on on YouTube. You know, in some cases, you may have to get past a language barrier. Uh, one of the things that I found this cool is that a lot of uh, American fans have created videos explaining a lot of this stuff. So, so it, maybe it, it's not just watching um, a start a match or some compilation, but watch uh, reviews essentially from fans, and they and they'll walk you uh, through it, and it's been uh, super helpful. So. Yeah, can't say enough good things. Let's talk about um, the the number two. You, you mentioned Candice, uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of people expect her to be at number one. She was our number one last year, uh, Bianca Belair. And you could make an argument she had a better year uh, this year uh, than, than last. Last year, her championship reign getting uh, a derailed uh, at SummerSlam with the return of Becky Lynch. Uh, this time, once again, she wins the title at WrestleMania. Once again, steals the show, has the best match over WrestleMania uh, weekend, this time beats Becky Lynch uh, at SummerSlam, really kind of cements herself as the the top woman in the company, uh, but only number two. Uh, I say only number two, as if that's um, in anything bad. Uh, oh, Brian, let, let me go to you. Uh, uh, what's your take on the year that uh, Bianca Bell Blair has had? And has she, I certainly think she has risen and, and proven herself to be among the, the very elite uh, wrestlers in the sport and still very young in her career. Yeah, and I also think that she's benefited, and rightfully so. She's one of the top people that have benefited from the regime change in WWE. I think that's got to be said because we talk about these NXT products and people that Triple H was very high on and really believed in, some of them not getting treated as well as they could have been creatively when they went to the main roster. And I'm not saying that you know she was far from buried. But certainly what happened last year and the thing with Becky and all that, that had a lot of people scratching their heads. And I would have bet good money that one of the people scratching his head was Triple H. So mm -hmm. I feel like he's been trying to fix that and, and really position her in more of a way that she deserves to be positioned because you could even look at, I mean, yes, she's had a great year, but it, but the second half of it has been even noticeably better than the first half in where, you know, ever since the whole damage control thing started and, you know, uh, her feud with Bailey and, and, and now the, the, the war game stuff leading into summer uh, into survivor series, I feel like um, she's really been showcased in a, but in a way that's deserved because I remember, look, I know people like to say, well, I knew it way back then, but I mean, when I first saw her, in the i think it was in the may young classic maybe when i first saw her yeah, in the first one i was just like you know there were a couple of people in there where i was like this person's going to be a huge deal and she was one of them if you don't believe me you could ask my wife i said it to her back then i said this this person is going to be a very big star and and so i'm not surprised but you know you could just tell and so i think i think it's great that she's getting showcased in the way that she deserves to be yeah, and and um, I think one thing that really kind of broke in her favor this year, and um, look, you, you never wish for for anybody to uh, to be injured, but it was certainly fortuitous that Becky left right and mm -hmm. gave her this breathing room. Uh, so that match at SummerSlam, uh, I think, really helped elevate uh, Bianca, both because she got the win and kind of again contrast that against SummerSlam last year. Um, and Becky put her over, not just by losing to her, but gave her the endorsement, gave her, you know, the handshake. Becky essentially turns he, uh, baby face at the end of that match. But more importantly, she went away. And um, it, it, it's tough. It's tough 
kind of solidifying yourself as the one of or the top woman in the company when you're sharing the screen with one of the biggest female stars in the history of wrestling and, and Becky Lynch. Um, so I, I think she needs some time to kind of go it uh, alone. Uh, the, the flip side of that, I think, is that there is a noticeable uh, kind of dearth of, of depth in um, the women's division where um, it really just is Bianca now. Ba- Bailey's back and uh, damage control, you know, is is uh, growing in their influence. It's it's a good act. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't see that long line of competitors. I mean, you saw Ronda Rousey in the company, but but I think Ronda's uh, slowed down considerably just in terms of the momentum she had. Uh, uh, Candice, uh, uh, Brian mentioned the, the regime change. What's kind of the state of wrestling in WWE with Paul Levesque, Triple H, running uh, the show? The state of women's wrestling, that is. Oh, man, it's exciting. And I, I love that you mentioned, Brian, the Mae Young Classic, because I agree with you. I just want to put that in there in terms of Bianca Belair um, and Rhea Ripley. I remember those two uh, just stood out to me from the get. And I knew that they would be a part of the future of WWE and women's wrestling. And in terms of women's wrestling in WWE, it's an exciting time. I mean, this whole year has been weird for lack of a better term, because I'm thinking, looking back, how much has actually happened in wrestling this year and thinking about all the different changes, all of the uh, crazy news, all of the exciting news. And since Triple H has taken over in this role that he has, this creative role, there's, I just see so many awesome things from NXT to Raw to SmackDown. I mean, even looking at NXT, I'm so excited because we have girls like Roxanne Perez, Nikita Lyons, Lash Legend. I mean, just at Cora J, just seeing what they're doing in such a short period of time since they've gotten to NXT, it's extraordinary. I can't wait to see exactly where they go on the main roster, which could be any day now at this rate because they're improving so rapidly. And then you look at Raw and SmackDown, and there's always going to be storylines that we just don't understand. There's always going to be matches that might we might have a stra- scratching our heads at the final result. But all in all, when it comes to the women's wrestling in that promotion, I mean, when we have women like Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Bailey is back, we have Damage Control, uh, Charlotte, whenever she comes back, Sasha and Naomi, whenever they come back, which is just going to, (laughs) I'm just, I think people are just going to lose their minds when that time comes. There's just so much promise and we're seeing things change for the better. We're seeing, I could just tell in how people are in the ring, like there just seems to be a relief of tension. There's just, there's something different that you can tell. Um, And it, it looks like people just feel as though they have more creative control. You can see it in their actions, what they're saying in the promos. And it's so cool. And I, you know, we look at other women like Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, there's just, there's so much promise to be had. And I'm really excited for them. And I'm happy that that they can get into this new chapter for their careers in this new regime. Yeah, it, it does feel kind of like a rebuilding year because you think about that, that WrestleMania event from a few years ago, the first women's WrestleMania main event, you had Becky, Charlotte, and uh, Ronda Rousey, and uh, Becky's out, uh, Charlotte is out, and Ronda Rousey is around, but in a different role. And I and I think um, fair to say maybe uh, not not meeting the expectations that were uh, there for her. She's not exactly setting the world on fire, as you mentioned. Sasha's no longer around. Maybe she's coming back. Bailey just returned after being on hiatus for a long time. So it's a different scene. And then you've got people like Liv Morgan who have become real players who were 
um, certainly in much lesser roles years ago. Uh, uh, Brian, what's your sense of uh, uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque's vision for women's wrestling, and how is it different than uh, Vince McMahon's? Oh, boy. Wow. I mean, uh, night and day. I think uh, one of the differences, I think, is that, you know, Vince McMahon, for as innovative as he was and as groundbreaking and the way that he that he looked at wrestling differently from anyone else. I mean, he even called it something differently from anyone else. He's the only person that calls it that. But um, that aside, he had his he was set. He became set in his ways. I think we all know that. And one of the one of the things was he, he was, I think, still in the mindset of what women's wrestling in the United States used to be. Um, and anytime we saw it deviate from that and to become something better, I think he was being like coerced and kind of persuaded to do it. I don't think his heart was in it. You know, he still remembered the days when women's wrestling was, quite frankly, a sideshow. It was treated as a sideshow. It was an oddity. It was, oh, my God. Wow. They have women wrestling, too. Oh, that's weird. I got to see that. I want to. And there or, or there was something kind of it was exploitative like oh we were going to see these these hot women roll around on the mat that was the thinking behind a lot of women's wrestling oh it's a cat fight oh wow they're pulling hair that was still you know even even when he would promote people like Wendy Richter or an Alundra Blaze it was still like uh it was just a, a tiny little part of the roster you would typically have the the champion and the challenger like we've talked about and that would be it that was the whole division you know Wendy Richter was going to be the female Hulk Hogan but you know there was never this idea that women's wrestling was going to be on a par with men or even close to it and so over the years when it's gotten really hot and it's gone and it's gotten over really strong like if you go back to the Trish Stratus and Leader era or what China was doing um, and then even in more recent years, there was always the sense of like, okay, well, that's great, but we've got to keep it in its place. Like, hold on, we can't we can't get too carried away with this. And I think that Triple H has none of those hangups. I think um, I don't know why. I mean, whatever. I don't know what led him to think that way, but he's got a, a very different view, and and it was shown in the way that he managed NXT. Just the fact that, as we all know, I mean, the four horsewomen thing. I mean, they were like the most buzzworthy thing going on in NXT in the early years of it. And so now he's carrying that thinking over um, into the main roster. We, we see it all the time uh, that he he's very much taking it more seriously, uh, looking towards creating stars. I mean, you know, the the we see it regularly now. I mean, I remember when Lita and Trish Stratus main evented Monday Night Raw in a steel cage match, and it was like, Oh my God, it was huge news as it should have been. But now women main eventing a show happens all the time. It's become like a, a, a somewhat regular occurrence, which again is a great thing. It's a great thing that we don't even bother to mention it anymore. Yeah, the novelty world. Right, yeah. it's just expected. I think it happened even just last week. I forget Well, we saw with, on NXT with the NXT women's tag team title last night, but it, it's happened other times. And uh, it's just expected now, like you said. That's a great thing. But it is part of the sea change that's going on is more of that, which is great. Yeah, I mean, not to be too much of a uh, uh, an armchair uh, psychiatrist or anything like that, but you, you could certainly deduce that Triple H has a, a healthier respect, um, a healthier view of women 
than Vince McMahon did. And part of it, just from, mm-hmm. from you know, kind of uh, observing Triple H's life and career uh, in wrestling is that he has been surrounded by by powerful women, right? Whether it was his relationship with China uh, 20-something years ago, marrying Stephanie McMahon, you know, who, who's more of uh, an, an ambitious, powerful woman than Stephanie McMahon, and then uh, r- running the developmental system NXT for a number of years and seeing women come in you know, very green and seeing that they have um, every bit of uh, the, the hunger and determination as their male counterparts too. So I've never sensed with, with Triple H and look, you go back to the DX stuff and I guess maybe um, it won't look so, so good, but uh, there, there's, there's not as much of a track record, um, I think, as an observer of, of objectifying women as maybe um, Vince McMahon did. Um, also, uh, also, people grow and mature and change, sure. you know, and yeah. I think he definitely has in that regard in a way that maybe Vince McMahon never yeah. did. He, he just never grew up in that in that area of thinking, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Candice, uh, uh, I want to talk about that other company, AEW. Um, they've got the number three spot in the magazine with Thunder Rosa. Uh, but I think it's fair to say not a great year for women's wrestling uh, in AEW in the top ten. Uh, they've got two wrestlers ranked in the top 10. Uh, Stardom's got three. WWE's got three. And uh, so you've got Thunder Rosa and you've got uh, Chade Cargill. And for, for all the the praise that AEW uh, gets, and, and rightfully so, um, this is the one place where you tend to see more criticism. Uh, you know, Brian, you talk about women being in the main event. You don't see that nearly as much, uh, I no. think, in AEW, certainly not on a pay-per-view or anything like that. Um, and you know, the Thunder Rosa experiment, I, I don't think has been a huge success, right? So, uh, what can you talk about? What can you say about uh, a Thunder Rosa's year? Uh, maybe some stumbles along the way and kind of the, the, the state of wrestling in AW, women's wrestling in AW. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> there's so much to talk about this because it is quite frustrating. And for the most part, one of the main arguments that we hear is AEW is still a youngish company at this point, you know, there, but it's at a, it's at a point now where there just isn't an excuse anymore to be quite honest, because as you stated, you know, if we're looking at companies like WWE and even seeing what they're doing with NXT, which is considered their developmental, we, (laughs) the main events that the women are putting on in that company just for developmental are spectacular. And we're seeing a steady rise if we're going to compare that to what we're seeing with AEW, where it's become a running joke at this time where you see people stating, well, let's see if they even have a second match for Dynamite for the woman, because we are always (laughs) expecting that they're going to at least have one and perhaps a promo for the woman. But there's way more matches when it comes to the men in that company when we're looking at a dynamite each Wednesday. Rampage is a little bit better. There seems to be a little bit more of a spotlight for women, especially That's the- almost worse because yeah. it's the B show, right? So it's sort of like acknowledging right. that they belong on the B show. Yeah. Right, right. And and so it's it's hard. It's really hard because everyone wants to see the women's division in that company get more opportunity. I can't sit here and state that the talent that they have isn't great because they have great talent. They have talent that's still forming and development developing. And then they have talent like Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb. I mean, they have the pieces to the puzzle. It's just a matter of giving them more opportunity to shine. And when you have a dynamite, which is only two hours, 
versus a Raw, which is three hours, and you're thinking, oh, we're just going to see one women's match and hope that it can be the main event match and hope that we can see like some meat to these storylines, which is another thing that I think now people really want to see, myself included, the more richness with the storylines. We want more explanations because to be quite honest, not everyone is watching AEW Dark. Not everyone's watching AEW Dark Elevation. So we have to still see why a certain match is being profiled on the show, why we have to care about the storyline. What is the storyline? Because it can't just be seeing it play out on Twitter. It can't just be seeing it played out on social media. We need to see why this is important. And it, it really, it sucks because it can be done so much better. They have wonderful women on that roster and the, the women want to work. They're rallying with each other. They want everyone to have more opportunity. And, you know, if we're looking at someone like Thunder Rosa, who started off the year with a bang, you know, getting the title, being that champion, being that face for the company and having that opportunity and to see it kind of devolve to where it is now. And that's not a knock on Tony Storm at all. I love Tony Storm. But if we're having if we're trying to even figure out, you know, is there an interim? Why is this interim happening? Is Thunder? I mean, for people to question, is Thunder Rosa still the champion? That's a problem. <laughs> there needs yeah. to be a, def a definition of what exactly is going on with the titles and what we're seeing for it to make sense and for people to it not just be invested, but stay invested. And I think that's the danger zone we're in now where people are figuring out if they want to even continue watching. Because if, mm -hmm. if we're not seeing the woman getting the spotlight, more spotlight than they deserve, it's it's really, it's hard. It's going to be hard for people to stay invested and, and stick with it. Um, at least with that division. So there's so much to unpack. With. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's so clearly kind of, and, and it's measurable, a, a um, less enthusiasm for the women's division than anything else in AEW. When the women uh, come into the ring for a match, crowd dies down a lot. You see it in, in viewership, viewership uh, falls down a lot and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling thing where I think because there's not a lot of excitement, maybe they pull back. They don't invest as much there. You don't sense as much faith uh, uh, in the women's uh, division. Um, you know, this reminds me of uh, one of the social media uh, debates that's been going on between Eric Bischoff and, and Tony Khan about, you touched on it, putting these matches out there cold and Tony got very defensive. And, and, and I, I understand where Tony's coming from, not not every match needs to have this, this you know, developed storyline behind it. Uh, but it does feel like disproportionately that's the case with um, the women, that they're put out there cold uh, more often. And, and um, you know, what's sort of maddening is that we've seen them do it well in Britt Baker, who was great, right? I mean, she checked all the boxes. She was she was one of the best things when she came on TV. I mean, she was a blast to watch the character, the promos, the storylines, all that. And it just feels like um, after that, they took such a step back. And now, um, you know, another kind of common criticism uh, is that they maybe do seem to be falling into that trap uh, a little bit of, oh, you used to work for WWE um, and getting, getting excited about it. And so we've seen it with, with Soraya and, uh, the former Ember Moon and, and some others just kind of bringing them over because they've got that uh, WWE uh, pedigree, even if, you know, there's a question about how good a fit that they are. Um, uh, Brian, I'll, I'll ask you, I mean, what, what's AEW doing right? Are we maybe being too hard on them about their women's division? Um, and what are they doing wrong? I just think it's part of the bigger problem that they're having now. Like, I understand, I do understand where, um, Tony Khan's coming from when he's responding to Bischoff there because I agree and I think 
this whole idea of like every single match having this this like carefully thought out storyline everything look that is an attitude era idea that no i'm for good or bad that's like a vince russo thing that was a bischoff thing that's what they did and the shows became very busy and everybody i mean i have actually seen some of the like creative meeting notes that vince russo would put together for some of these things and more power to those guys for doing that but that's not the only way to do it not every and in fact i i'm not even such a huge fan of that i think it's a bit too much when every single match needs to have a story every wrestler needs to always have a program I think it makes for a very busy show, but that also doesn't mean that your booking just should be lazy and chaotic and lackluster. And I'll be honest and say that that's a lot of what I've been seeing in AEW. I, I, I went to, especially the live experience. I went to rampage at Mohegan sun here in Connecticut. And even without the benefit of the announcers, walking you through it like you have tony shivani you have jim ross you have excalibur you have people at taz who are good at what they do and they could fill in the gaps and make up for things and cover for things it, it's it is a chaotic experience so who is this guy what's happening where are the what, what happened why do these people not like each other like it's it's not as as well thought out as what wwe does and i think um part of it especially with relating to the women and how they're featured on the roster is uh, I, I didn't think this at first, but watching the product now for a few years, AEW and thinking about it in reference to WWE and everything. I think that part of it is that Tony Khan really, okay. I never thought I'd be saying this, but triple H I think is a more forward thinking um, uh, innovative wrestling mind. Like, He's a fan and he loved he loved his 80s wrestling and he was one of the top wrestlers in the 90s and all that. But he's not as much caught up in the past as I think Tony Khan is. I think Tony Khan as a booker, he's a fan. You know, he's got that 80s, 90s wrestling, the stuff that he loved even early 2000. And, and, and he's stuck in, in a way. And part of that, the downside of that is that that was the era like we talked about where women, there wasn't a lot of thought put into women's wrestling and how to present it. It was truly an afterthought. It was something to fill out the card. Um, and so I think maybe whether whether it's conscious or not, that is what is seeping into the AEW booking philosophy. Because look, you could say the Thunder Rosa experiment isn't working or some people aren't being perceived the way they should be and the matches, the fans tune out and all that. But I think that's a result of training. You know, you have to train your audience. You have to condition your audience and you have to, uh, it's all about the booking and how they're presented. I think the disinterest is a reflection of the lack of confidence that AEW has in their women's division, you know, not the other way around. So I think that's something that they're way behind WWE on, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've definitely taken a step back again. I, I go, you know, think to that, um, Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match, which I think was our match of the year. Uh, it last was year, and it was a terrific match. All the the emotion in it, and I remember interviewing Britt um, sometime around there and talking about you know the uh, uh, a rematch of Britt and Thunder Rosa 
in the main event of a pay-per-view seems inevitable, right? Like it was one of the hottest matches that they had to, to pull out. Um, and you know, you fast forward a, a year or so, and it's hard to think that we were ever even there. I mean, it just feels like the, the women in AEW, and, and I don't want to exaggerate, it's not that they're an afterthought that they have their segments, they have their storylines, they get mic time, but th- there's such a clear gulf between, um, a, a John Moxley and MJF, their storylines, how, where they're positioned on the show and the Thunder Rosa, a Tony Storm, you know, the top women um, in in AEW. I'll mention Jade Cargo real quick, who is our, our number five. I think she's something special, you know, um, still a, a little green and, and should be. I mean, I think she's only been wrestling for a couple of years, our rookie of the year uh, last year. But uh, they again, they, they really seem to have something super special uh, in her, you know, talking about Vince McMahon uh, again, he would have got a crazy for a Jade Cargill. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let, let's um, talk about um, some of the other promotions represented. As I mentioned, uh, WWE's got three spots in, in the top 10. Sardom's got three spots in the top 10. Um, the, the others are occupied uh, by... AEW's got two, and Impact actually probably has a pretty good showing. You know, I think they they do better on this list than than most of our other lists, um, and and that's been kind of the the reputation for Impact for a long time. You know, Brian, you talk about kind of um, where WWE was with with its women's wrestling presentation years ago. In, in a lot of ways, Impact, the former TNA, were pioneers of taking women's wrestling seriously. When you talk about people like uh, Gail King, Kim, and Awesome Kong, and the pre- presentation they got in TNA when WWE was still doing lingerie pillow fights, and over the years, you know, there have been some some forks in the road. Uh, but when you talk about Jordan Grace and you talk about uh, Ty Valkyrie, two of the best women's wrestlers uh, in the world, two very different. Uh, wrestlers from each other and also different than than most of the women on this list you know th- th- these aren't cookie cutters um and that's one of the cool things about the, the knockouts division is that they are uh all shapes and sizes and looks and styles and and frankly i think a lot of it doesn't work i see some of this stuff and and it's like it's not for me some of it um can feel pretty indie-rific uh but but it's cool that um, you know, historically, Impact has taken some chances with its women where other companies um, have it. I mean, they put the world title on on a woman a couple of years ago. Right. So, um, uh, Candice, what can you talk say about uh, where Impact is with its knockouts division? I've always liked or rather loved the knockouts division. You know, I think and I think those that are in the know, they're in the know. They They are well aware that Impact has something and has always had something really special with the knockouts division. And we have talents like Jordan Grace, Deanna Parazzo, uh, Taya Valkyrie, Masha Slamovich, the list goes on. Uh, the work rate that those women put in day in and day out. And it's, <laughs> I know people, there are people out there that say they don't watch Impact, which is fine. Not everyone does, but I think that they're missing out because. Their knockouts division is truly fantastic. It really is something to behold. And everyone has put in so much hard work. I mean, when you look at the pay-per-views and and get to that point and you see how the storylines from 
what we're seeing on weekly television are infused into the pay-per-views, how they uh, definitely add more layers to it. And it's seen in their in-ring skills. Um, it's awesome. It's really awesome. And I love Jordan Grace. I really do. She Sometimes I forget how young she is, and but she seems to me like an old soul because she she definitely, when you see the output that she has as a wrestler and what she's done in her career, and to note her age and to know that there's it's only up from here. It, it, she can only go up, and whether that continues to be an impact or if she makes her way to WWE or AEW, um, it's going to be phenomenal to see what those the, that range of matches that she can have with uh, certain folks in, say, for WWE, if that were the case, if that were to happen. Um, I, it, it makes me really excited. But in terms of what she's done at Impact and what a lot of those other women have done at Impact, it really should be praised. And I sometimes when I hear people downing Impact, it just makes, it makes me upset because I'm like you. I don't get to watch it every week myself, but when I do... It's I never have a bad time watching it. It really is entertaining. And a lot of the matches that I really love do come from the knockouts division. They really do. So I, I hope that more people can watch them and, and really see what they're doing because it's it's great. What they're doing is really great. The, the challenge that Impact has, and, and uh, we talk about it here sometimes, uh, I think is, is just from a production level standpoint and just the reality that they don't have particularly deep pockets and um, you know, you tune in to impact on any given week and especially you've been watching for a long time and you compare it to what impact looked like 10, 12, 15 years ago, it's night and day. I mean, it, it, it's almost like one of these, you know, local independents where they get like a handheld camcorder and, and they upload it. I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, it, it is low production value, not the most major league looking product uh, in the world. Uh, so, you know, it, for, for a casual fan, I get sort of like you tune in and you say, ah, this is, you know, Bush League. Uh, and, and it's a shame because, yeah, that, that, that belies some real talent uh, in the ring and, and also some quality, quality storytelling. There's a lot to like in, on Impact, but they're up against just the, the reality of um, not having the resources that, that some of the other companies do. Um, anyhow, uh, I won't go through the whole uh, 150, certainly. Uh, but you certainly should uh, head on over to pwi-online.com uh, and check out the whole list. Well, we got a little uh, more time here, um, and I'm hoping to be able to talk a little Logan Paul and maybe even some more AEW, uh, but didn't want to miss uh, a big story in the NWA. Brian and I have sometimes to talk about uh, the NWA, and, and Candice, you're certainly welcome to chime in. But Nick Aldis uh, departing. They've, they've got uh, a pay-per-view coming up, I think, this Sunday, the uh, Hard Times 3. And a very public falling out between uh, Nick Aldis and Billy Corgan, the owner of uh, NWA. Uh, Nick Aldis telling the world that he's he uh, has given his notice. Um, it seems like he was intent on finishing up his time uh, at the NWA, being on the show. Uh, but Billy kind of you know fires back and suspends him, takes him off the show. Uh, Brian, what's your, your take on this and how big a deal is it for the NWA to lose, uh, Nick Aldis and how, how much potentially of a coup is it for WWE or, or AW or anybody else that this guy's on the free market? It's a very big deal because, uh, it just g gives you an idea of, of what the chaos that that's going on over there, because I mean, he was their, their biggest name. He was kind of like the face of the NWA ever in the Corgan era. Not only that, but there was, but but as we know, he was very involved behind the scenes. Uh, he mm -hmm. had he had a producer role, 
he was really plugged in and there seemed to be a great relationship in the beginning. So to see that deteriorate, I think is very telling. I think, you know, I, I think that company is in, in some trouble uh, because I mean, I used to be a big supporter and I would talk a lot about the NWA when, when Corgan first took over and when they started power, there was such a buzz. I think it's just been a steady, steady decline. Um, some of it has been the pandemic. You know, that show really took a brutal hit when the pandemic hit more than other shows did. The, and it's the steady loss of people who, you know, whether or not the reasons for their dismissal were justified or not, or departure, the, the fact is that it creatively hurt the company every time. Uh, and product-wise, Cornette, Lagana, even David Marquez, who was involved behind the scenes and was their interviewer. Every time something like that happened, I felt personally like the product took a hit and got a little bit worse. Um, and, you know, especially in some cases, like I'm not defending, like, let's say uh, the, the the things that Dave Lagana was accused of and all that. I'm not. I'm just saying that it it hurt their product, you know, the bottom line. And, and now they're in a position where, their top star is on the outs with the owner. And, and again, it's so it's interesting because it goes back to the presentation of women's wrestling. That's an integral part of the falling out of Nick Aldis and Billy Corgan, because he was talking about how it, a lot of it stems from uh, the way that empower was handled and the way he talked about um, Billy, you know, disrespecting his wife, Mickey James and her position as the executive producer on that show. And, you know, I cannot defend the kind of thing that when you see Billy Corgan saying, oh, I don't know if there's enough women of quality to carry a pay-per-view. I can't imagine what it feels, you know, who are available to us. I can't imagine what it feels like as one of those women yeah. talent hearing him say that. And this is also a man who and look, I'm the one saying this. This is a man who is putting Tyrus in multiple consecutive main event world title matches. And he's saying, oh, I don't know if there's enough uh, high caliber NWA level women's wrestlers out there to carry a, a show. Um, so a lot of that has been something that Nick and Mickey have been quietly dealing with, not wanting to make a public thing out of. And now it's coming to a head. I have also heard through the grapevine, through my sources, and I can't reveal specifically that there is a, a, a female talent now within the NWA who has also given, given her notice. I don't want to say who, but uh, for similar reasons for the frustration over how women are being presented. And it's not just that. It's because Nick has said this too. Um, it's in some of the comments he's made that got him in trouble. It's the whole creative direction of the company. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's gone so downhill. Um, it, it's just, I mean, you want to talk about chaos. I mean, it, it makes the AW, the AEW look like mid South wrestling or something, you know, it's like, there's no cohesion. Um, what they did on their last pay-per-view with cart Cardona and, and the title being held up and all that, it just made no sense it was so frustrating. It was one of the sloppiest kinds of examples of, of booking I've seen on a pay-per-view of any company ever at the NWA um, anniversary show that they did in August. It's been kind of a mess. And so I, I sort of see where he's coming from because he's a very 
put together talent. He's always taken care in how he presents himself. He looks and carries himself like one of the NWA champions of old. He, he's he's a great performer. A lot of people have said he's he was too good to be there, and now that seems to be coming to to fruition because any company would be would be smart to snatch him up. Um, it's all it's only a matter of where. I mean, uh, um, I think he's got a great look and he's a great talent, and he'd be a great fit in either company. Honestly, meaning AEW or WWE. And and he's such a veteran, and I think he's maybe thirty five, something like that. I mean, this is Younger. a guy who's. I think, I think has, he's like early thirties. Yeah, he still has plenty of mileage. Um, so absolutely, I mean, a, a great, great pickup, and and I hope, um, you know, uh, promoters out there realize what's available because there aren't that many guys like that uh, or women like that. You know, a, a free agent who can hit the ground running, um, who could be uh fresh for for folks who are more casual fans um yeah, but but also comes in there with a reputation including a reputation as a world champion so uh, a huge pickup uh, a couple things that, that I want to respond to that uh, uh largely agree um you know it, it's frustrating with with Billy and how it seems like he's kind of getting in his own way that he had this thing that I think so many people um, really found kind of a, a charming and uh, had this great buzz. And he seems insistent on kind of moving away from the stuff that was working, you know, and, right. I, and I go back to um, my hot seat interview with him and I liked Billy a lot when, when we chatted. And, and again, he, he, he taught me how to play the riff for a uh, disarm. So uh, that was cool. Uh, uh, but, you know, I always think back to how, unnecessarily defensive he got over um, the term uh, throwback, you know, the idea that the NWA was throwback. And and not only did I, I not mean it disparagingly, it was a compliment and it was, was working um, at the NWA. And that's not to say that you just create a nostalgia promotion, but clearly that was, that was part of the formula that really worked. And if you are going to lose some of these guys along the way, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, a Jim Cornette or a Dave Marquez or um, obviously Nick Aldis and, and many others that have kind of like um, dropped off uh, over the last few years. It's like you better have something better in the pipeline. And they have it, you know, right. is, is it I think is it Tyrus? I mean, it, it, it's the, don't don't tell me that that Tyrus is better than than uh, a Nick Aldis. And in lieu of that, and, and I think this is a, a lesson for for um, all wrestling promotions and. Um, you know, you've seen it in history. People talk about, you know, why was Hulk Hogan on top for so long in WWE? Because it was working and, and there was no reason to change it. And and that was the same for, for John Cena. And I might argue that they moved away from John Cena uh, too quickly. So when, when they got that belt off of Nick Aldis, and I don't remember the particulars of it, whether he was hurt or something, but certainly he's been uh, available and healthy and kind of on the bench for the, the last year plus, and it's puzzling. It's like, this guy was such a great world champion for you. If you've got something better than that, that's fine, right. but you don't. And and they it don't. certainly isn't Trevor Mur- Murdoch. No, and and I've, I felt that way when they first put it on on Trevor. I just thought, that's not really your guy. I, I, I think he's great, but that's not your guy. And I understand what they were going for. They were going like, oh, well, he kind of looks like Harley Race a little bit if you squint your eyes or something. <laughs> like, you know, like he has that that vibe. But Nick Aldis was working so well. And, you know, he got bumped 
at the anniversary show in August. He was supposed to, he got replaced by Tyrus. Right. He, yeah. he was supposed to be in that match because again, he was making critical comments about, about the company publicly. And he got like bumped into a mid card match, I think with uh flip Gordon or something. Right. Um, but he, you know, what I want to clarify too from before about what I said is like, yeah, I mean, they've, they've gotten rid of people and I know they had their reasons with Cornette and they certainly had their reasons with Dave. And I understand completely Dave Lagana Marquez. I do not understand. I think that was a huge mistake, but what happens is every time fine, if you have your reasons, but what, what replaces those people is yeah. always a step down every time and no offense to the people that have stepped in but it's always a step down. It's never an improvement or even something that's just as good. And, and the, they went from being something that was vintage, nostalgic, and cool to just, they started to become a parody of that. And I think that's when the trouble started when I was watching going, okay, they went from being like, we're trying to recreate this 80s studio wrestling to now we're making fun of 80s studio wrestling. And I think when you do that, you alienated the original audience you had, and, and it's only gone downhill from there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, frankly, it's not a good product uh, right no, now. It, no. it, it's not a good viewing uh, experience. And again, what what's crazy is if you talk to Billy, it's like, it, it sort of reminds me, uh, and I know you're a horror guy, Brian, uh, of, you know, people love The Shining, right? Uh, the movie, uh, that is. Stephen King hates it. Right. right. And and yeah. it's like these people who what they create that really works, there's there's almost like this detest for for it and um, um, trying to move away from it. And it's like, yeah, that that or the, the, that first year or so of NWA power was like his shining. And uh, he'd rather have the guy from Wings on the, the ABC uh, TV movie version. of it, it was my favorite show for a while. Like uh, every week, the yeah. WA, it was like, it, it was just so different and cool. It was the one I look forward to the most, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Stephen King absolutely loves that really horrible TV movie version of the shining they made with the guy from wings in the nineties. Right. <laughs> I don't get it. I think he's bitter because deep down he knows that Stanley Kubrick actually made his book better that the, that the shining movie that he did is better than the Stephen King book improved it, fixed things in the book. And I don't think as an author that he appreciated that very much. And I, and I wonder if there's there's some uh, of that in the NWA in that, you know, when you talk about a lot of these guys, whether it's uh, Logano or or Nick Aldis, as you touched on, not just the talent. He was an employee. He was and, and I had Nick uh, here on the podcast years ago, what kind of in the early days of this version of the NWA. And he was a, a true believer. I mean, this is a guy who was mm -hmm. all in, very much invested. And um, I I wonder how much uh, of of Billy's problem is that he felt like, you know, it was too much other people's vision and not his vision. And in some ways, the the more it worked, the more he resented it because it wasn't his, right? So so how much of it was Lagana? How much of it was Marquez? How much of it was Aldis? What when you 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 know what you know about those three guys in particular, you want to throw Cornette in there and you think about the NWA when it was working at its best It very much, you feel all those guys in that product, right? I mean, like yes. the, all those guys' fingerprints are all over that original NWA. And the more that it is Billy's vision, I don't know that it, that, that it, it works so well. Because, um, because look, he always wanted to, 
to run impact. That was his right. thing. He was, you know, and I think he, the NWA thing to him, I hate to say was from the beginning, like a compromise. You know, I know like David Marquez was the person who suggested to him, like, Hey, why don't you try buying the NWA? Like they're a total disaster. I've been involved with them for years. Their management is in shambles. Why don't you come in and, and buy them? And he did and, and, and took it over. But, uh, it's been, um, Hit you know from the beginning, I think he wanted it to be something different from the people that were working for him wanted it to be. Uh, and I know, look, the, the, the Cornette thing for me was the beginning of the end. Like when that happened, it was almost like, oh my god, what's going on over there? Because look, uh, you know, he shouldn't have said what he said on the air. Certainly, he should have known better. You know, he was still in his wrestling heel manager mode, where you would have said that in the eighties to get your guy over and make people hate you. I get it. He should have known better. They also should have known better than to even let it on the air. I mean, that was taped weeks in advance. We talked about that when it happened. And then the whole thing was mishandled where, you know, they tried to get him to give an apology. And he basically said, look, this isn't even fun anymore. I don't, I'd rather just go back to my house, do my podcast and sell my action figures and not have to leave my house. And, and, and he got out and that was like, the beginning of the town, the downturn where like the goodwill started to dissipate, I think, even from there. Yeah. And obviously the pandemic uh, accelerated all that because they were just off TV for a long time. And then the offerings that they were putting up during the pandemic, what was it? Uh, like Wrestle Land or something like that. Uh, oh, really I blocked it out stuff. of my yeah. memory. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, they've never quite gotten back on track. Anyway, I mean, I hope they, they turn, turn things around and uh, certainly wish the best for, for Nick Aldis. You know, Candice, let me ask you one point uh, uh, on this because the, the fallout with Nick Aldis reminds me of another big story uh, in the last few months uh, with CM Punk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how much latitude should wrestlers and especially wrestlers sort of at the top have to, to, to feel free to disparage their employer? Because that's one place where I am a little sympathetic towards Billy Corrigan as far as, is it a look, whether you, you, you got a problem with the product or not, we've got a show coming up in a few days. Is this really the right time for you to be crapping on our show? Uh, and I think to, to punk after winning the world title, sitting right next to Tony Khan and crapping on WWE on AEW. Uh, so, you know, is there something just to be said for like, you know, be a good employee, be a, a, a team player and, and maybe handle some of this stuff behind the scenes and not in front of the whole world on social media? That's such a huge question, because in 2022, we are now in a world where quiet quitting is a buzzword. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you asked me this because I had a really we all think this about Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't talk about it. Right. But I had I had this really great conversation with a friend about this notion just in general about work culture over the phone last night. And it when it comes to wrestling, it's I think because it's such a public job and it's something that not a lot of people, especially within the realm of, of entertainment and sports entertainment, are privy to unless you're actually working in that space. Um you always, when you, when it's a relationship between employer and employee, there, there's a level of respect and trust across the board. And that's just beyond wrestling. But I feel as though when you get to that breaking point where you feel so frustrated and given the environment that you in, I mean, if we're looking at the whole CM Punk situation, 
Um, it just, to me, seemed like he was at that point. And we don't know, unless we were there in those rooms with him and with the people that were with him working to know exactly how he was behind the scenes and what he tried to do in order to be a, a team player and, and to help others and so forth and so on, we'll never know, right? So at that point during that scrum, we just got the thrash end of someone who just was done, frustrated, yeah. and was at the end of his rope. And I think when it's at that point, it's um, it's sad because it should never get to that point. And I, I feel as though if you are a wrestler and you're so frustrated with your placement and there comes a time where you have that opportunity that CM Punk had where <laughs> no one told him to say what he said, he just took the liberty of saying it because he that's that's who he is. Other wrestlers wouldn't have done that. And that's just based on personality and just, I guess, how many years you've had in the business and so forth and so on. But I think there's a time and place for everything. However, I can't fault a wrestler for being frustrated about their station. I, can, I couldn't sit and tell someone, uh, don't do that or don't say that because everyone is different. And whether you feel it's moral or in his right to do what he did, um, or for in the case of Nick Aldis to say what he said on Twitter, I, I, I'd like to believe, and I always have that there's always, everyone has a breaking point. Everyone can get to that point if they're pushed far enough. And it's really up to you to decide if you want to jump that ledge or if you want to stay back. And perhaps for a lot of people, they've tried behind the scenes to talk things out. You know, that could very well be the case with CM Punk and Nick Aldis. I would like to believe that they had those moments where they sat someone aside and said, hey, I'm not I'm not cool with what's happening. And if they feel as though they haven't been heard and that they haven't had that time to be given the grace to to be in the room with those people who make those decisions and have them actually really hear them, not as the wrestler, not as CM Punk the wrestler, not as Nick Aldis the wrestler, but as the people that they are, the human beings, the employees. It just seems like they were fed up. And it's sad that for Nick Aldis especially that it, it got to that point. I mean, I was chuckling because I'm like, he he quit, but then he was fired. And that's just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's that age old, <laughs> oh, you're going to, you want to, you're going to quit while I'm going to fire you. And it just, right, yeah. it, at that point, it became a little bit foolish because it seemed like the man just, he said what he said, he was done. And, and, you know, he, that was that. Um, so it's, it is frustrating to see things like that because you want to believe that people are having a good time for the most part where they're working, but if they're not, it can, it affects the product. And we're seeing that with NWA. Unfortunately, we're talking about empower. I want to see an empower too. I watched the first one and I loved it. And since then people have been asking for a second one. And we're just getting these responses of there's not enough competent woman talent. That just, that blows my mind when we have a PWI women's 150 and yeah, there's 150 of them. Yeah across the globe that there are competent women talent. I mean, we're at the point where we're thinking, should we have a PWI 200? Because there's not enough room and space to fit 150. It's like we need more. So it's just messy. All across the board, it just seems messy. I'm just sad that it's come to this yeah. point. And I want yeah. better for everyone, you know, and us sure. watching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's tricky, and, and, and you touch on a lot of important uh, topics. Because on, on one hand, I, I get the the idea of you got to be a team player here. You know, certainly that's what's inbred in people in in WWE is you know whether you're on board or not with the creative um, publicly, you better be on on board. And I think WWE wrestlers do toe the line. Uh, you, you don't see this kind of thing as much. 
uh, outside of WWE. The, the flip side of that is that at the end of the day, these guys, you know, wrestling is uh, a business um, where wrestlers are typically independent contractors and you got to look out for yourself. And if you've got a, a real problem with the product that you're associated with, I get wanting to be out there distancing yourself with from it, saying, look, don't identify me with with this. You know, I, I don't agree with what's happening here. Uh, but, yeah, that makes you the, the bad employee. Uh, so yeah. certainly a lot of sides here. Yeah. Um, in, in the last few minutes here before we run, I, I, I did want to touch on uh, a Crown Jewel, not as a whole show, but want to talk a little about Logan Paul, who I just thought was magnificent. A lot of people surprised uh, by Logan Paul. I got to say, I wasn't. I thought this match was going to be great, and it was great. Uh, you know, I think Wade Barrett called him the best third match wrestler uh, he's ever seen, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I can't think of another uh, a wrestler, certainly a celebrity crossover wrestler, who is this poised, this great, graceful? Um, he he just uh, everything he the guy does is picture perfect. Working on the absolute highest stage. This isn't Bad Bunny taking three bumps in in a tag team uh, match. This is working with Roman Reigns in a stadium uh, in the main event, and he just couldn't have carried himself uh, any better. Uh, so just just blown away by by Logan Paul. Uh, uh, Brian, were you impressed by him as well? Yeah, he, he's a natural, like people have said. I think that just based on crowd reactions and stuff, though, they, they might want to, you know, maybe not try to force him as a baby face. Like, that's one thing I noticed. I think he just has natural heel kind of energy with the rest. But he crowd. works a really effective baby face style. I don't know if, yeah, if no, a lot he does. of those, those moves he does work as well as as a heel. But what what told me a lot was, you know, Roman Reigns is now in that in that area where he's the heel that people really want to like. He's in that like Ric Flair rock kind of territory where it's like he's this heel that's so dominant that people like him. And um, so they look for any excuse to start cheering him. And I think when you put him with Logan Paul, that was like the tipping point where I really feel like Roman Reigns is almost headed towards yeah. babyface territory if they keep doing that. But but that aside, I think, yes, he's fantastic. And I think that they would probably do well to try to sort of get him to make more appearances. Although maybe, maybe it helps that he's a special attraction and he's and he come maybe he won't get you know, burnt out or stale or whatever, like a lot of wrestlers do. Maybe it's a good thing, but yeah, I, I think he's great. I wish, I know he, he tore his knee apart mm. by doing that incredibly cool spot where he jumped off, you know, he flipped off with the cell phone onto Roman. Right. I feel like that might be the kind of thing where a wrestler who wasn't so new might've not done it. He might've said, Whoa, this is stupid and crazy. And I'm going to be off house shows for like a month if I do this, <laughs> but he didn't know any better, so he just went ahead and did it, and it was great to see, to watch. I just hope he's okay. I hope his knee heals up well enough. But I feel like that's something that only he would have done. I think any other wrestler in that position would have been too cautious to do something like that. But it's great seeing you know a celebrity crossover wrestler who is so invested, who is not holding his nose through it, who is right. um, throwing himself into it uh, um, 
you know, I, I, I remember when I saw him at, at WrestleMania, the tag team match, and I thought, man, in, in a different lifetime, this guy would have been just terrific as a WWE wrestler, assuming that he would never seriously entertain, you know, a, a contract WWE. And, and sure enough, he did. He seems to be enjoying it. Um, I, I, I'm thinking maybe uh, a tag team match with him and his brother versus the Usos might be in the works. I wonder if that's somehow part of War Games. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Candice, um, on a related topic, just the bloodline. I, I don't, you know, as much as we talk about Roman, I don't know that we've spoken enough here about just what a blast the bloodline is. Um, you know, yeah. you think about to that segment a couple weeks ago um, with Sami Zayn was probably the most over guy in the entire bloodline, which is so crazy <laughs> to think about. But but that segment a few weeks ago where they lost the match and then, you know, daddy comes home and and everybody's kind of like on, on uh, pins and needles because here comes Roman and Sammy and Jay are bickering, and Jay says, uh, I don't give a damn what, what the tribal chief says. And everybody in the uh, building, and me at home, goes, oh, no. You know, like, that's <laughs> right. that's wrestling at its best. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they really have something magical in, in the bloodline. Do you agree, Candice? Absolutely. And seeing... Sammy just run with this and you know now everyone is saying Usi like wherever they go <laughs> yeah. it's just it's awesome it's really great seeing the cohesion of that unit and how they're just having fun with it and yes. just like you stated it's once again it's that storytelling it's the storylines and we're seeing how layer upon layer each week they're just rolling with it they're loving it and we are so invested we cannot wait to see what happens week after week and that's the whole point right and it's not always about what's happening in the ring it's what's happening outside of it but the bloodline as that unit i mean they're at the top of their game right now it's just it's so fun to watch and me personally for selfish reasons because i love her i i have been voting for quite some time for naomi to be a great fit yeah be like i just when or if she comes back i really just want her to come full on just as a part of the bloodline do things with sasha if you must but that would just be the creme de la creme of this whole thing to have her come through and have interactions with sammy and jay and i would just love to see it so i i love them they really yeah. have become entertaining you, you talk about you know it, it being clear that they're having fun and it really does make all the difference i mean if you ever watch like a good saturday night live skit the best ones are when they start cracking up right yeah. and uh and they could barely kind of keep it together and there was some of that in in that skit and you know you could argue that maybe it took away from some of the the seriousness of it but uh, I think more importantly, you know, what what does come through is that everybody here is really uh, enjoying this. You know, everybody knows that they're doing something that that is really, uh, really great. Everybody is playing the role to perfection, you know, whether it's Paul Heyman and and um, the, the subtle differences in all the characters. Every, everybody, you know, has got a different role. You know, Paul Heyman is, is the wise man. Jimmy, a little more easygoing, a little more of a party guy. Uh, a solo Sokoa as as the enforcer, kind of quiet and brooding. Jay is the hothead who's just sort of like constantly kind of pissed off and and can't get along with anybody. And uh, Sammy happy to be there and and uh, it, it's just and, and the chemistry between the different players is so great. I I love and you wouldn't think this would work, but but Sammy in um the bloodline and and roman who is sort of like the ultimate bully and has no tolerance for anybody having a soft spot for for sammy and and he likes him he's sort of like the pet you know he gets a kick out of him 
Um, and that drives Jay crazy. It's just all great. What's crazy is that it's so much fun to watch, and there's not even really a, like an angle or a storyline or a match that they're building to. It's just an act that shows up on TV, and it's a blast to watch. But they got it over so well. That's the thing. Like when you said when everybody flipped out when – when Jay said what he said, that he didn't give a damn what the tribal chief said. I mean, that's when you know that an act is over, like that they're with you in that moment that those thousands of people and everybody just, oh, like that. They were they responded. And that is the result of very careful week by week building something up patiently. Like you said, you know, even when there isn't a specific angle the idea is when you get these characters over and their dynamics over so well you can build things out of it and you have a built-in audience people are already like like bought into it because they believe in these characters like the sammy thing i don't even think and look there have been so it's been very well handled from the beginning of the bloodline like we've talked about they've always kept it interesting and fresh and 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 layered and I, but I think the Sammy thing, I think, was something they stumbled into. I don't know for a fact, but I just don't think that was the plan. I think it was intended as a one-off joke. Like you have, you know, the, 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 this goofy guy who is so out of place and mistakenly thinks that he is a member of the bloodline when he's really not. It almost seemed like this mid-card throwaway thing for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, I think somebody was like, hey. This is working. We should yeah. actually have him join the bloodline. Like, I don't think that was the original plan because that's what makes it work is he so obviously doesn't belong in the group. Yeah. You that see all the memes. Great. <laughs> you, you see all the memes of uh, like the Usos as kids that you can see these pictures all over the place and Roman as a kid. And there's little, little Sammy as a kid with them as a member of the family. Uh, and it's just, it's just kind of silly, but it, it really, really works. Contrast all this to Roman Reigns three years ago, you know, and I, I used to always say he looked like a guy, you know, kind of going full circle to we were talking about punk and uh, Nick Aldis. He looked like a guy who hated coming to work every day, you know, mm. when he was positioned as a baby face that wasn't working and he would come out there and everybody would boo him. And he had kind of the sad sack face. Uh, and, and again, <laughs> contrast that to now where He's great. He knows he's great. He's having a great time. Everybody, the Usos are great. They might just set the record uh, for the longest tag team title reign coming up uh, this week mm -hmm. in, in, you know, a, a very um, high profile match with the New Day. Um, all of it is clicking. Um, you know, it's exciting to see where this is going. And it's not really clear. You know, we've got, you know, we're, we're starting to kind of get into where we're at least thinking about WrestleMania. And it's not clear uh, where it's going. Um, other than you know, he delivered another rock bottom at uh, with with Logan Paul right. uh, and Rock on, has on, been saying things on interviews. There was that that interview he gave for Black Adam. I don't know if it was planned or not. Where they, asked I'm not convinced him, it's happening. Yeah, did you know what I'm talking about? Where they yes. asked him like the, the tribal chief, yeah, and he was like, "You're looking at the tribal chief, right? Yeah, now. the head of the table. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm the not head convinced of the table, right? I, I'm not convinced it's happening. You know, I, it it still sounds like. A lot of things have to line up for that to work. And now we're kind of getting there, right? I mean, you'd think this would be around the season where uh, right. maybe they make it official. There's still time, but but uh, we will see. I worry in lieu of that, what is it? I mean, I don't. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't want to see Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. Um, I hope that's not it. Can I, can I just say that I think I, – I, I hate to be the one to say this, but like for me – 
Bray Wyatt in like record time has mm. gone back to being as awful as he was yep. when they got when he left. And I, I hate to say that because I, I don't I, I, I first of all, I know not everyone's going to agree with me. And I know like he people want him to succeed and do well. But I just feel like, oh my God, the, the it's the, the thing, worst of Bray Wyatt. Yeah, yeah the thing right. they did with the backstage tech and like where he's harassing the guy, and then the whole like Uncle Howdy is me, and I'm gonna wrestle me, and I'm, I I, I swear I just had the instinct of like, wow, I really just want him to go away again. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's only been two weeks, and that's you know, been Bray Wyatt for years. Yeah, Candace looks like she disagrees, so I don't. I, I'll let her. I'm curious. You don't want to see what happens between him and Alexa because that's what I'm. Oh, oh God! Keep keep Alexa miles away from that. I'm. Well, well, I will. I will say. I I was. My interest was piqued when they did the little thing where they showed yeah. the logo on screen yeah. and she because. But because I always like when they do these callbacks and they acknowledge the history of the characters mm -hmm. and their storylines and all that. Yes. But then I remember like what it actually was right. that they were doing with her and everything, which was another example of like, I almost felt like, like Alexa benefited when he left, even yeah. in her character that was related to him, I liked better after he was gone. When, you know, I, even though she's not doing that character anymore, maybe she'll go back to it. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just think, like it's almost like the idea of Bray Wyatt yes, is cooler yeah. and, than Bray Wyatt. And you think about, you know, this has been the pattern with Bray for a year is that they they build anticipation, they build, they build, they build, mm -hmm. and then they deliver what his latest vision is. And when it it's they actually pull the trigger on it and it's executed and you have it and it's in the ring, it's horrible. I mean, you remember that with with the fiend before we the fiend wrestled for the first time, it was a long drawn out build. For the fiend, and then we got it, and you know, pretty. Uh, I defy you to, to to point out one good fiend match. It it was terrible television, and uh, I I I thought the build to this latest, and we talked about it. This this latest return of Bray Wyatt was masterfully done. It worked on the ratings. I mean, I think in the latest um, uh, a quarterly investors call, you know, there was a lot of celebrating about you know what what a success it was for viewership and all that. Absolutely, it it really worked. But now we have Bray Wyatt back, and um, and this is what it is, and and it's always this kind of too clever for its own good. Um, you know, I, I still think when you have a guy who is that creative, um, there there is something to be done there, right? I mean, there's got to be a way to tap into that for the betterment of WWE. Uh, but he's got it. It goes beyond being reined in or being edited. I mean, it, it's. Uh, it's too much. He's just like a, a walking fever dream and it it doesn't it doesn't work, you know, in, when you're trying to kind of tell cohesive storylines. I mean that the guy is yeah. change the channel, you know, right? But he, away. he does we have to say, and I'm you know, even that he has his fans. Yeah. There, there are people who love what he does. There are people who are into the whole like, oh, what does this mean and what does that mean? Yeah. And they're watching it in that in yes. that looking for clues and things. There are there is that segment there. You know, I and don't know. Huge, if, I don't know, know if it belongs it in the main event though. I, I don't. And know there might be more of them than than of us. So I, I will absolutely acknowledge that. I mean, it, it it's not that the guy doesn't have a following. There there are people who right now are vehemently disagreeing with us you know yes. and, and think everything he does is great and that's fine you know um uh but 
it's it's tough. Even if you like the guy, you have to acknowledge that it it's tough to to fit him into the rest of the product. You know, it it, it, mm. it doesn't play well with others. <laughs> uh, it's a new regime, yeah. so we'll we'll see. I mean, I really like Bray Wyatt. I always have, and I'm just holding on to see what exactly comes of his character in this new regime and how they implement it, and if who will come into the fold and his group to kind of solidify that. So I'm just holding on to, to see what they yeah. do. It's going to be the same yeah. of, of what we've seen or a new chapter or so, or another new chapter rather. So yeah, yeah. I guess there was, there's news that, that Bo Dallas might be on his way back. Maybe he's yeah. part of the act, you know, they've never had those two together, but um, you know, well, he, he even is. acknowledged, he acknowledged on TV for the first time ever that he was part of a prestigious wrestling family, right. you know, that he's like yeah. third generation. He didn't say third generation, but he acknowledged that. And they've never even made mention of that before mm -hmm. that he was, you yeah. know, part of the Rotundo Wyndham wrestling family. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, I know we're up against uh, time here. I want to thank uh, both of you guys. Uh, Candace, anything you, you want to plug? Uh, you still uh, uh, regular on, on Busted Open? When can people uh, hear you there? Yeah, um, I am working on the next appearance, but that should be forthcoming soon. In the meantime, uh, Face Turn with Candace Cordelia. Check that out on YouTube. I have a full-on slate of new interviews coming soon there that are really exciting, so you don't want to miss it. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Candace Cordelia, and also on Instagram, that girl Candace16. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned. There's a lot coming up towards the end of 2022. Yes, thank you so much, Candace. Uh, Brian, you've got your book, you've got your podcast, you've got tons of uh... Uh, that you're doing, where can people uh, follow some of what you're doing? Well, there's the Shut Up and Wrestle podcast, which is suawpod.com. That's an old, it's an old school themed wrestling podcast. And the wrestling news we've been doing now, uh, which which is the you can get at the wrestlingnews.com. We do this thing every morning, and I am slaving away at this script every day. So people better be listening to that. The book. Blood and Fire, the unbelievable, unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, right, which I haven't shut up about for three years. It's still out there, print, digital, and, and audio. I have an announcement I'm going to make soon. I'm not going to make it now because it's not, it's not totally set yet. But for the next book, it is going to be a wrestling book, a biography. And I, I can't wait to tell people because I think people are going to be super excited. Hopefully, very, very soon, once CCW Press like gets it all like totally set up, I don't want to jinx anything. It's going to be really cool. Great. Looking forward to hearing it. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in. Pick up the latest issue of PWI, the Women's 150 on newsstands or at pwi-online.com. That's all for now. We'll be back soon.